Welcome back, everyone, once again to a new installment of Screenplay Rewind. I'm Jeff. I'm Ron. And if you want to feel old, boy, do we have a monument for you. Mr. Ron, were you aware that Lord of the Rings just turned 20 years old this year? Oh, my God. Is that the most depressing thing you can think of? It's, uh, it's pretty up there. Because I just remember being so excited. I, like, I remember being in the theater for, you know, the third one. Just as a wee little non-boomer Jeff. You know, with hopes and dreams. Good times. Uh, that's 2001. So, yeah, I was 16 years old. I probably drove myself to the theater. <laughs> in, in your Model T? <laughs> uh, 16? 16? I was probably working at the theater. I don't know. Oh, shit. Yeah, I started. Was no, it uh, uh, was Cinemark also was your first job? Yes, it was. It was my first job too. And it's actually, a- I remember orientation was uh, on Halloween in two thousand two, and November first was the day I started. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't have been working yet. Yeah, I, I remember I, my opening weekend at the theater was for Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that was a real. Real fucking barn burner of a weekend. Uh, let's see. I got, I know I got a bunch of the Harry Potters in there. What, one of the first big ones I hit was one of the X Men. Ah, was probably, it? probably X Men 2. If it's, I think that was 2002. That's what I was wanting to say. Um, no, uh, X Men. Oh my god, there's so many X Men movies. What is the second one called? Yeah, results right. X two X Men United, I think. Something yeah, I remember like that. that now. That's dumb. Uh, it was a very lame title. X two X Men United, two thousand and three. Ah, two thousand three. So, yeah. Oh my god, dude. Oh god, we're god. so old. I picked a hell of a time to start working in the theater. That's all I remember. It's just like one after the other. Yeah. It was exa- Ugh, I just choked. It was exhausting. <laughs> I, I just choked thinking about it. That's how exhausting it was. <laughs> uh, I also choked just thinking about how Beverly Hills Chihuahua was a thing that exists in the world. Oh my god! I, Step Brothers was a thing as well, and I just remember that was one of the worst movies I have ever worked. Oh my I can god. imagine. I just wanted to die. That was one of them that the lines started at the auditorium doors, went through the lobby, out the front doors, and then down the curb. That was the line to like get into the theater. It was all 447 people in line to get in That's the theater waiting for us for to clean it. For Step Brothers? For Step Brothers. I mean, I like Step Brothers, but like, Jesus Christ. Why? why? Yeah, it was absurd. Why? We like, we had two of those. Uh, number one was four hundred and thirty-one seats, and seventeen was four hundred and forty-seven. And you know they would be fifteen minutes apart, so we would have those two lines snaking through the building, out the lobby, and then down the curb. Fucked up though. Still yeah. miss being a projectionist. I know it was so good. Yeah. I was on the floor oh. then though. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, projection booth, awesome. The rest of it fucking sucked. <laughs> oh my god, zero out of ten. Do not recommend. Do not recommend. But yeah, man, I was just uh reminded of the Harry Potter film franchise, Fast and the Furious, and Lord of the Rings turning twenty this year, and I want to die. 
<laughs> also uh, finding out that my girlfriend was three years old when Fellowship came out. Also wanted to die. <laughs> yeah, that's how I that's how I did the math earlier that I was sixteen was when you sent me that text message. Like, oh, God, we're so God. we're so fucking old, dude. It's really tragic. I'm it's pretty really sure. Tra- I'm move, pretty sure she, something else. I'm pretty sure she had just become a teenager when I was getting married. <laughs> so. let's, let's move on to something else <laughs> this, is she this... sitting right behind you as we talk about her age no none okay. she's in the other room I, so, so funny, funny she story. could only sit through one I, last time I, and now she went to the other room yeah she, she immediately just fucking dipped like this, <laughs> and, and left a bad iTunes review and just on her way out <laughs> no I, I she, she has never seen Lord of the Rings this is her first time watching it, and all she's watched so far is Fellowship. And I imagine we will <laughs> yeah, probably at some point. Because she was in diapers. Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I assume we'll probably at some point inadvertently talk about the second and third movies. So I have sequestered her off with uh, earbuds in so that I don't accidentally spoil something for her. Because she also cares about spoilers like we do. So she's isolated? Yeah, she's she's isolated from our mediocrity. <laughs> Thank yep, God. I sent her to the car. She's outside. <laughs> She's outside with a blanket and a Kindle. <laughs> oh, Jesus. On a brighter note, we got a couple of questions to answer. You want to get those uh, out of the way, Ron? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Oh, Our first shit. one comes Supposed in. to read this before the show starts. Yeah, before the show, S-H-O-I-W. You know what's going on. There's a time. <laughs> read before the show starts. Read it before the show starts. You know, it's for real when there's a typo in the subject line. And an exclamation point. Dear God. And an exclamation point. All right. This is from the legend, the man, the myth, Bobby himself. He said, to be or not to be, that is not the question. Well played, Bobby. Well played. He's also adds, for the record, he has seen 25 of the movies that we've reviewed, so he's seen about 70% of them. This is episode, like, what? 38, Bobby? 38 too many? Yeah, most of the audience will probably agree with that. There's an audience? Believe it or not, we get hits. I, I don't know that they come back, but we get we get some hits. So if you go to like if you like Google the ring VHS tape, does it just forward you to just an audio download of us? <laughs> and we just kill people in seven days because they can't take anymore. Is that is just that Peter Griffin on the ground? Yeah. Uh I guess I'm assuming at some point we had questioned. Uh, how many Bobby had seen, and he was confirming. Thanks, Bobby. I, th- I think I mention it every episode. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't pay attention to what we talk about, so it's fair. I, I All right. So here's the here's the legitimate question, though. Uh, he added, "Ask your significant other if they had to pick one movie you had to watch for the rest of your life. What would they choose for you?" And also, I just real quick before we actually answer the question, he added a GIF of Hemsworth <laughs> as the uh, fucking psycho and. El Royale walking up to the El Royale in the rain with his arms out and he said me when Ron finally lets me back in his house lol <laughs> I laughed at that pretty good it was funny uh, yeah what he's at what he actually means though is that half my house is in California and the other half is in Vegas <laughs> always look forward to the the Bobby gifts and emails uh so <laughs> let's let's let you go first Ron what did Chris pick for you here's how you know I'm married her response was the first Avengers movie because she'll have to watch it too. <laughs> I think she had thought about trolling me, 
and then realized, no, we're married. So if it's on, <laughs> she's having to sit through it as well. So funny enough, I asked uh, Aurora the same question uh, five oh, minutes before recording. Five <laughs> minutes before recording, because I am punctual, if anything, <laughs> and good at remembering stuff. And she said, first of all, she's like, I considered trolling you by picking a Barbie movie. <laughs> and then she went the she went the same direction as Chris and she said, uh, I will pick Tangled for you because I'll probably have to watch it with you too. It was actually pretty sweet. Oh, that means she sees a future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean not not after listening to this episode. <laughs> uh, no, I'm the one that's was... in trouble with the diapers comment. That's true. <laughs> Oh man, I haven't even met her yet. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I'm already she, in trouble. Yeah, and she had added that uh, she thought Rapunzel and Flynn reminded her the most of me and her together. So it was a very sweet and non trollish response. So I appreciate. I want to I want to hear you revisit what you just said after you finally watch Olaf presents. Oh God, because Tangled is one of them. Then you say it just ruins like all the Disney movies or something? Yep. And it's amazing. <laughs> See, I don't know if I can watch it because that's that kind of stuff just sticks in my brain where I can't unhear it and I don't want all the movies I like to be ruined by it. I've already seen them all dozens and dozens of times, so it doesn't matter. At this point, I'm ruining them for myself. So, you know, Olaf might as well do it. And that was one of the best moments in Frozen 2, and that's what it was based on, is that moment in Frozen 2 when he recaps the first one. I still need to watch the second one. Yes, you do. I to watch it for a long time. And we've got an additional question from Bobby himself, the legend. He said uh, his subject line was because of Jeff, and immediately, that being the first thing I saw, I got scared uh, before reading the question, but it's not that bad. He yeah, said, okay. He said, okay, at the end of the latest episode, Jeff brought up the idea of adding the bounty hunters from Ballad of Buster Shrugs to the El Royale movie. He said he liked this idea, so if you could add a character from one movie to another, what would you choose or put two different movie characters together into a new movie? I am thinking about this. We'll let you know later. So, do you have an answer, Ron? Because I have an answer. I do. I, um... I was trying to come up with uh, one serious answer and one humorous one. I failed on the humorous one, but I do have a potential second one. It's got a caveat, though. Okay. So the serious answer, my, my first answer, is we're talking characters, right? Not actors. Yes. So Rick the prompt was to add The prompt was to add a character for one movie to another. Yeah. Well, add a character. Oh. Oh, or two different movies. I was going to say, or two different movies. That's what I did. It was two different movie characters into a new movie. Was the way, the oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Rick O'Connell and John Constantine in Wishmaster. That's pretty dope. I'd watch the fuck out of that. Because he's a relic hunter, and Wishmaster is a genie in a lamp, and John Constantine fights demons, and genies are a gin. And, and just to clarify to anyone that's not as obsessed with the... Brendan Fraser mummy movies as we are. Rick O'Connell was Brendan Fraser's character in the was it late nineties mummy when when those uh, movies came out? It was like two thousand one. I thought it started in the nineties. Maybe ninety nine. The mummy. Yeah, ninety nine, and then the Mummy Returns yeah. two thousand one. Okay, yeah, so like, I always turn, do yeah. that. I think I did that the last time we talked about it. 
always do that. And I can't tell you what I eat for breakfast today, but I can uh, I can tell you what year Brendan Fraser's The Mummy came out. <laughs> so yeah, my second uh, answer with a caveat: if we are talking characters, do they get to bring something with them? Is this I think not that's specified fair. in the email? I think that's I think they can bring something with them. Why not? It's a big something. Okay, like. Big. Okay. Um, Riley and Mako in Gypsy Danger. Okay. I like where this is going. And this I is also characters from Pacific Rim, if anyone is not familiar. Depending on what the tone you want the movie to be, uh, airdrop Gypsy, Dan- Gypsy Danger with Riley and Mako inside in either Godzilla, King of the Monsters, or Cloverfield. Ooh. Now, I feel like Cloverfield may be too close to just another Pacific Rim movie. But Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I mean, come on. I'd watch the fuck out of that. <laughs> it, honestly, you put you, you put the fucking Jaegers from Pacific Rim into, like, Schindler's List. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it should have ended? It's it's just you, you know how the only thing uh that's colored in Chandler's list is like the little girl's like red coat or whatever. It's just the only thing that's colored is the mech. <laughs> no, Jesse no, Danger is blue. You got to do Crimson Typhoon. The red oh, one yeah, with the three that's, that's arms. The, that's the one. Yeah, Schindler's Schindler's mech. <laughs> oh my God, Mako's uh, shoe is a childish red. Anyway. Yeah, Schindler Schindler and the Nazis not drift compatible. Who would have thunk it? Like a very yeah, I, I, I kept trying to work on Hudson and someone else dropping into something. <laughs> um, all, all I could come up with was the characters Hudson from Aliens and Weasel from The Suicide Squad. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I, I could not come up with a movie to drop them into. I wanted to see Hudson meet Weasel for the first time. Yeah, and then I wanted... Uh, I, 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 kept kind of between, I kept going back and forth between Weasel or Benny from The Mummy with Hudson. Yeah, just just drop him into like Mac and me or something. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? A late show with Conan O'Brien? Completely fucking random. Oh god. Uh, Et uh, and then uh, fucking Hudson just blows him away. Would watch. <laughs> would totally uh-huh. watch. <laughs> uh, I really liked that that new Suicide Squad movie. It was pretty funny. I was like, did no one fact check to see if the weasel could swim? Really. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. All right. I got an answer for this. I got an answer for this. I think you're going to like, Ron. Okay. All right. So the character is Carl Urban, Judge Dredd, and you drop him into Alien versus Predator. That is a comic book that I have read. Yeah. I just want to watch that movie. Just there be fucking there is source material for that comic. Give it to me now, please. Yes. And I want to watch it very badly. Second answer, Pacific Rim Mex and Chandler's List, I guess. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Well, no, we need to start. No, we need to We need to go to the YouTube route and just start dropping Deadpool into things. Right. That's what we need All right. to do. I think that's the uh, last of our questions that we had. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, Bobby had uh, talked about... Once that he was able to figure out his answer, he would let us know. I'm also curious to see what Bobby comes up with, but yeah. Yeah, to tune in in a couple of weeks, or no, potentially next week. 
Yeah, I think we're going to yeah. run these um, back to back to back. Back to back to back, and I'll edit the Just second like one. Just like Peter Jackson. <laughs> it all comes brilliant, together. Brilliant segue, sir. Let's talk about... Can, uh, can so I start... We, we, I was going to say, can I start this episode off by saying that, believe it or not, this is no longer Stephen Colbert's favorite trilogy? Uh, How did that get dethroned? He... When he went to New Zealand last year, I think, that's where Peter Jackson lives. And he, uh, Peter Jackson showed him that uh, Beatles documentary, which is a trilogy also. And he thinks that that Beatles documentary may actually be his favorite trilogy now. He said that in I, his interview with uh, Peter Jackson the other night. I heard people just like going apeshit over that documentary, and I, I've never been a big Beatles guy, but I'm I'm kind of interested to watch it just to see like what the fuss is about, you know. Uh, apparently, the big one is the legend is always that they hated each other, and apparently uh -huh. that like couldn't be further from the truth. That's one of the biggest revelations. Are you a Beatles guy? I like their I like their music. I I couldn't give a shit about the band. <laughs> I, I, there are I, people I, that invested their entire lives in these four, sometimes five people's lives, depending on who you talk to. And I just like I I barely know their names. Yeah, I, I like a lot of people like uh, you know, become a, have become obsessed with them over time. I I was I've always liked a few of their songs and they're okay. And like I I respect like how important they are for rock and roll just in general, you know. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. I've I've always been much more of a fan of like Zeppelin and Queen. If you want to talk about more like classic rock, yeah, uh, type bands, but, but they are kind of like the generation after them, I guess. So then Colbert used uh, that to segue into talking about Lord of the Rings with Peter Jackson. It was actually of a really course. good interview. I recommend looking it up. It's on YouTube. I will have to look it up because isn't isn't Colbert known as like the premier Tolkien expert like on the planet? Like he even like beat out some of the like uh well, what was it that he was did he was on like a Jeopardy or something here for it, it where he was able to like was... test out his trivia? There was a Jeopardy-style trivia match that he went up against the world's foremost leading expert on Tolkien, and Colbert beat him like hands down. It's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, I always yeah. don't don't some uh some actors and people that are actually like guessing in the past have like impromptu quizzed him on it, and he still knows all the answers because it's not fake. He just knows all the fucking answers, and everything. It would probably be hard to find, but my favorite one was James Franco the second time, I think, on his old show. Mm -hmm. uh, Comedy Central doesn't let stuff get out to like YouTube and stuff. They want you to go to their their website. So it's probably hard to find, but it was his old show on Comedy Central, and my favorite one was James Franco came in and he he tests him every time he sees him, and he wanted him to name some obscures some obscure character's name that like the dwarfs call her or something. And he's like, "Oh, you mean so and so of the blibbity blop?" And he's like, "Also known sometimes as the blibbity bloppity bloop." And he just went on and on and on and on. The elves also know her as da 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 da, but the elves from this side know her as da 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 da. And he just kept going <laughs> on and on. And James Franco is laughing so hard he cannot breathe. Like he's literally like doubling over in his chair and he's like turning purple just because he's laughing so hard and there's a point where Colbert is just almost standing up because he's slowly leaning across the table 
closer and closer to Franco, the more he yells names and facts at Franco. And then the whole rant ends with, you come into my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think you uh, I think you had sent me that because we talked about it at some point because I, I knew it somehow that people would come on and like impromptu quiz him uh, just, you know, just to validate that it wasn't staged. The, and that he whole, just is a fucking super genius when it comes to Tolkien. The whole thing also started with the one of the best parts I left out was he was like last time I was here, um, I asked you about Lord of the Rings, and then Colbert cuts him off and goes, Yeah, and I smoked you like a ham. <laughs> 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 and then it ended with you coming to my house. Oh god, it was so good. Yeah, we, we couldn't not cover Lord of the Rings for the 20th anniversary because it was going to be on the show eventually just because you and I, we're not Colbert-level super fans, but I fucking adore these movies. I really do. That I We've been on record on the show talking about I think it is the best trilogy. Uh, even as someone with a Star Wars poster on his wall, just because you just look at the consistent quality from each of the three movies, it's so fucking good. And just the simple fact that these movies exist at all... How, how how did how did a studio around 1999-2000 just decide to drop all of this money into a fucking Lord of the Rings back-to-back-to-back production? Is that just not insane? Like, how did this happen? It, it's, 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 it's amazing that it happened, and it's even more amazing that it's fucking, like, one of the best pieces of just adaptation ever. You know, one of the most beloved film well. franchises ever. It they took their time with it is why it's one of the best adaptations. I mean, these are three hour long movies and there's one for each book. Uh, there's a lot that they cut out, but yeah, I mean they got they got the meat of the the story in there. And I say you know they they took their time with it. these aren't hour and a half long movies, but they also didn't drag it out by making three movies out of one book. So it it they hit a pretty good balance between pace and adapting it faithfully i think um yeah somewhere along the line someone must have realized that this is the foundation for everything right this is the foundation for everyone's D campaign and every fantasy video game you've ever played every fantasy tv show or book that you've ever read like this is this is it it all sparks from here it's just insane to me just how much of a production budget they were given for what is essentially to like to most people in the studios. Like I just can't imagine them elevator pitching it, you know, because it, it's it's Lord of the Rings. Everyone knows what Lord of the Rings is, but when you put it in a film, it's it's a fucking like you said, it's like a D and D movie, you know? Yeah. To and it's it's not. There's a lot of depth and just like the most insane amount of like fucking lore you can imagine, but. Elevate like ele- elevator pitching this to studio heads. It's just like so. You're telling me there's gonna be dudes running around with wizards, you know, st- as wizard staff, short swords. There's a dwarf. You know, it's just insane to me that it got greenlit in the first place. And in, in at the time period, you know, because this is something that would happen now, not yeah. in 2001. It's just, uh, but, but I think maybe part of it is just when you look back at how much of a shit show Hollywood was in the 90s. That they just kind of like realized they had to change and that they were just kind of just, you know, running around in circles with what, you know, you think back to just how much of a, a drought there was in certain parts of the 90s, you know, outside of like independent film, you know? Yeah. Big, it, big AAA level Hollywood productions were 
few and far between as far as the actual good ones of the 90s. It's kind of a fucking ghost town. It's it's weird because you and I have talked about this period of filmmaking before. Um, I think on the Descent uh, episode where things are kind of kind of weird for the early 2000s or just for the aughts in general. Because uh, it's like halfway to the style of filmmaking we know now and halfway between just like every other 90s movie there is. That's the 2000s. And, you know... Going back and looking at it again with that in mind, there are a few things in this that feel like a 90s movie, but the storytelling and the costume design and stuff is very much very forward thinking for 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the, the level of storytelling in this is frankly uh, kind of shocking for 2001 because you can tell that all of a sudden they're like, you know, I wonder what would happen if we actually hired talented people, put them all together and just let them do their job. Like, yeah. you know, and just let like, the, just let the story, you know, tell itself, you know, just yeah, get out of the like, way. Just get like, out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what would happen if we were to do something crazy, something crazy and unheard of, like getting a director and a bunch of actors and some writers together with a beloved property and just seeing what happens if we just write them a check and step out, step to the side and just watch. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like it's not a connected universe of movies, but it's the same like forward thinking as far as picking actors that fit their characters instead of for their name that like the MCU would become. You know, if you yeah. th- you think about you know just if who if ended the up becoming Infinity Saga was three movies like like that kind of storytelling is kind of it, it's kind of insane. Like now we have the MCU, it, we just this is movies nowadays. You know, we're we're spoiled, but. 2001? Had you ever seen or even thought of something like this in 2001? It, it's so... Sequels were completely different things with the same title and sometimes the same actors. You know? Yeah, we didn't it's, flow it's just... right into the next story. We didn't have characters come back or revisit places we've been. We've seen that already. The sequel can never do that. So, yeah. it It's incredible. Like It's, it's, yeah. it's legitimately insane to me that this movie exists in the way that it does had so much faith placed in it. And you think about it, Peter, Peter Jackson wasn't Peter Jackson yet until like these mm. movies made him who he is. So it wasn't like he was a James Cameron, you know, where he was just right. given the keys to the kingdom. They put a lot of fucking faith in him in this project. And it, it you know, it, it's one of the most successful film franchises, uh, franchises of all time. So it paid off, but man, it's, I'm just like, so like just major fucking kudos to the, the production uh, and studios back then for allowing this to fucking happen. And has there ever been a film franchise casted better than the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Because I don't think so. You look down, every fucking character is so well chosen. And like everyone in this movie now is a well-known household name. But back then, uh, there's a pretty strong mix of people that would become household names and people that already are. Like, we have Magneto in here, right? Like, Ian McKellen uh, was just coming off of X-Men. Yeah. So, the people that didn't know him before X-Men knew him as Magneto. Like, oh, Magneto's in another movie. Yeah, and, and, and they're, all just, they're all just chosen because they match the characters. It, it yeah. was not a popularity contest like what the 90s was. So, it's like, this is just such like a big like turning point for Hollywood to be able to just, like you said... Let's cast people who fit the roles 
let's cast people who are passionate about the subject matter as the director and you know writing teams and it and it shows because like i think this is also probably like arguably the best book adaptation if you just think about just how faithful it is to capture the essence of it while also in, uh, elevating it, elevating it in some instances because i think the pacing of these movies is so much better than uh the books have you read oh the novels I, the, the, they're I hard to get book. through I did. Hard to get I, I, took, I took one look at it and I was like, I'll do audiobook. And that was a good call. Because con conceptually, <laughs> they're they're genius, but it's just like the, the nuts they, and bolts as far as the pacing of the writing is is tough. And, and you know, there's there's traditionalists of Tolkien, you know, they get pissed when you, you uh think about characters like Bombadil being taken out and the un the completely unnecessary epilogue ending of the novels, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it it, uh, it gets very encyclopedic in places. Yeah, and that's not, and it's just one of those things where it's, and it's, that's not to say it's it's bad, but you got to be no, really into it, um, yeah. for it to be good. Well, um, it is. It's conceptually brilliant. It's conceptually create, brilliant. Create an when, entire genre. It's just the nuts and bolts of his writing style doesn't convey to my to my liking uh just because it is kind of a chore in some parts to read and i i think some of the i think i think their editorial decisions to what they put in the the, the, uh, the theatrical cuts uh specifically i think are great uh, yes. i i think it's just fucking great work because i wouldn't know where to begin if you gave me that fucking first novel and said put this into a three-hour movie and for it to be as this movie flies by to me every i've seen it you know, a couple dozen times probably by now, and it, it, I'm never bored by any moment of it. I'm always engaged all the way through. Yeah, now, um, there is one part of the movie that kind of makes me aware of where we are as far as, like, how deep into the movie we are. But other mm -hmm. than that, yeah, everything kind of goes by, like, it feels like, I get to that part and then it's like oh and then it's like another 20 minutes because there, there's a part when they get to to Rivendell that it it feels like the movie's wrapping up and you expect credits to roll and yeah. then and then we we start back up yeah it's like an episode two of fellowship um yeah they have a little pit stop to refuel and then get back on the road <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's it's like when you um when you buy a TV series on like Blu-ray and they have like the marathon feature that removes the opening and closing credits and they just go through, it feels like that at one part in Rivendell as it seems like they're about to yeah. wrap up and go home. Yeah. And, and at, at that point I become usually aware of like, I, I'm kind of pulled out and made aware of where we are in the movie. And then I just fall right back in. Yeah. And just real quickly, I, I, we talked about Peter Jackson, obviously as a director, but just to get full, you know, Writing credits to uh to Fran Walsh, Philip Boyens, and Jackson himself uh as the co-writers. Like, man, this is such a good adaptation. Just I do not know how I suddenly feel about the property Mortal Engines, knowing Fran Walsh also did the screenplay for that. Yeah, I was never crazy. I feel like you liked it a little bit more than I did, but I was just kinda but even I was still kind of like, all right, when I left the theater. Yeah, you um, you were like the most charitable person about it, and you gave it well, like a C minus. If you had to, look, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. it's uh, like watchable. Yeah. Well, the part that they sold me on, this is just like the first ten minutes of the movie, and then that's it. 
uh you're being charitable because it was the first like 10 seconds of the movie and then it never <laughs> happened again <laughs> and i was just the whole time just like waiting for the shit to happen it's, oh it's we're just never oh okay we're, we're we just completely we're just never got, gonna talk about this again we just completely get fucking gaslighted by the fucking trailer company and, and, and yeah and then just it, it blue balls and then it becomes a new hope um <laughs> yeah boyans too philip boyans also oh really Legend screenplay by yeah that's that's so weird and they both have lovely bones too that's interesting yeah i i I have no idea but man this this franchise is just near and dear to my heart you know it's just one of my like i was telling peter jackson screenplay by mortal engines what happened to mortal engine is that those books just not good i don't know anything about the books yeah i i know nothing All I know is maybe the, the same three people that adapted Lord of the Rings adapted that movie. Or at the very least, don't sell it like it's going to be like fucking monster trucks with cities. It, on, it, you know, it was like, like the trailer was Mad Max, but with cities. It's it like, was Fury Road, but with cities. <laughs> yeah, Fury Road, City, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And you get 10 seconds of it. And it's over. <laughs> but instead of uh, flamethrower guitar guy, he has a uh, he has like bagpipes or something. Like that's that's the bait and switch. Yeah. Oh how, man. How have we not covered Fury Road for this podcast? Well, we the, suck. It just so happens that there are two of us and four Mad Max movies. I say we just uh-huh. each uh, trade off on picking Mad Max movies. That'd be a good franchise coverage. There's a lot to talk about with Bad Max and how much that fucking franchise changes. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about sequels being different? Yeah. Man, Thunderdome. Weird fucking movie, man. Weird fucking movie. (laughs) But, uh... But, man. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I also want to just talk about it real quickly. Is this, like, the... Maybe the coolest prologue to a movie you've ever seen, too? Because this movie has to carry a light... When you just think of how much exposition happens in this movie and it never feels like a chore to watch it like that is just insane the balls to open your movie in 2001 with like 10 minutes of backstory just narrated and it's epic and it is it's so epic and pulls you right in but the balls to do that because here's the thing here's the thing to keep in mind like me most of the time, your audience in the movie theater has very little experience as a whole with whatever properties. I had never read Lord of the Rings when I saw these movies. I was new to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and just the balls to come into this thing, just Kate Blanchett just telling you what happened to everything up to this point. And I don't know, I said 10 minutes. I don't know how long it really is, but uh, it's not short. It's just so, it it's a decision that just should not have worked. But I, I really think that the two people, as far as the cast, that do the most heavy lifting to set up the whole fucking thing and legitimize everything is Kate Blanchett's narration in the beginning and Ian McKellen. Like, yes. Ian McKellen, for the entire first half of this movie, is doing so much of the heavy lifting to, like, legit, uh, like legitimize... Him being a fucking wizard, you know, that sh- that should be off-putting and dorky, but it always comes across as legit. You know, and, and this is one of those things where it's like, they just, they crushed it on the casting with oh my God, so many of the people, but especially Ian McKellen, to just, you think about just how much of the storyline is, 
you know, on his shoulders, like how much you buy, you know, the just wizard a, character. Just off the way he's reacting. Because they establish with Ian McKellen very early on in the movie that, you know, being a wizard, wizards are studious, right? I mean, it's not an innate ability. It's not sorcery. It's it's wizardry. There's study and schooling involved. They know shit. Uh, he, just by the way he carries himself and just the way he talks, I don't think they ever discuss his age in this. I know they do in the books, but uh, yeah. It, you can tell he's been around for a while, just the way he carries himself and the way he talks. And the way he reacts to discovering the ring, even though yeah. you don't know this character, is immediately tells the audience that something, I mean, it's Lord of the Rings, but something is up with this fucking ring. Like You've already been through the narration, you know what it is, but just how afraid new audience should be of this ring um, is in, that's instilled by Ian McKellen, a character you just met, and it works so well. Um, I just think back I, to that before scene we, where... Before we move on too far from I just want to say on Kate Blanchett's narration, she could read me the fucking phone book for all I care. She's so good. I will listen to it and, all the and, way through. And like specifically with Kate Blanchett too, is she's just like such an amazing casting choice for that character and for her as a narration because she's not only just like incredibly engaging to listen to, but she she makes it sound like ethereal and like otherworldly and makes it not goofy. When it's so, when you just think about like it's oh, so it's a it's a movie. It's nine hours of four foot tall dudes with hairy feet mm-hmm. taking a ring to a volcano. It yep. sounds re- oh, and there's a wizard, and there's an elf, and there's a dwarf, and there's uh, Viggo Mortensen, and some trees that talk. And yeah, it should be fucking ridiculous. So it should this, be fucking ridiculous, but it never is. I'm it's this, like I'm engaged the whole fucking time. If this is a road trip movie, is this, is this technically a coming of age story? I think he, I think he might be on something. I, 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 I think that's the genre that was really created here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. If, you just, if you just listen out, if you just listen out, it's fucking ridiculous. And oh, they yeah, make there, it elves and dwarves and wizards and giant fucking eagles and there's you know Diablo shows up. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Um, the scene that st- sparked a debate that I think is still raging to this day. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Nothing, uh, everything about this is just code red nerd alert. Uh, uh, yeah. And the movie ends up just doing nothing but clearing house at the fucking Academy Awards. And it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Dungeons it and Dragons, just... y'all just swept house. <laughs> Yeah, I think fucking, re- like, uh, how many, I think Return of the King, I think it's been surpassed since then by something right. else, but when Return of the King happened, I think it had, like, the record for, like, most fucking Oscars in, in one go. It won, Return of the King won 11 Oscars, and it's just, like, it's the fucking D&D That's movie, insane. dude. That's insane. It's, D- it's fucking nuts. Uh, and, and, yeah, and it was just, like, and just watching... Watching this movie, you know, like I said, I've just watched this movie so many times, but I'm just always blown away at the beginning by Kate Blanchett and Ian McKellen and just how much of the heavy lifting they do as far as establishing uh, lore that doesn't feel exposition-y. Because, like, Kate Blanchett is literally just delivering exposition, but she's so good at it, it doesn't feel like it. It feels just like you're a little kid tucked in bed and your parents are reading you a bedtime story. It's just and so good. What an interesting character to choose 
to do your narration and in not not Gandalf. Um, it almost makes me wonder if they had two or three different people do it, and then they they picked her. Because uh, I mean, for one, she's bas- her character would have been basically there. Um, I mean, she was a receiver of one of the rings, but yeah. um, it just a, a character that's barely in the movie is the one that's doing your opening narration. And I mean, it's a great choice. That's not a criticism because her voice, I like Ian McKellen. I like his voice, but Ian McKellen would sound like a stage actor, I think, doing the narration, whereas. She sounds like this is what she does for a living. She just sounds like she voices documentaries for a living. And I mean that in the best possible way. As a guy that watches a ton of documentaries, she the the way her voice is just so I don't know. It's it's it, it, so like the way she talks and plus the sound of her voice being like almost as silky as it is. Yeah. The thing that it makes me think of is uh the way that she delivers it too is really is really cool because it's almost like an impartial yes reflection on it it, 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 it matches her is, character can you think of a better word to describe galadriel than impartial yeah <laughs> and, and that's and that's part of her it's, it's part of her character too yeah. and it's also an important way to look at it as far as her being impartial because that's how she is in the, in the modern time and uh you know with with the like she could be helping a lot more than she is but she's just you know kind of impartial about everything and she's she's just kind of like a fly in the wall uh because she just doesn't really she doesn't really care you know and right. it's not it's it's one of those things where she's not like an evil character she's just kind of she's just kind of there and just witnessing it all play out and you know plays a bit of a, a hand and you know helping them you know just uh bits and pieces here well, from, and there. from what i know about galadriel she basically already has what she wants i mean her telepathic abilities come from her ring so yeah I, I, the one thing i remember one thing I, I, I distinctly remember from the books is that elrond suspects she still has her ring but he can't prove it so he doesn't talk to her about it but he was supposed to have rounded up all of the other rings and kind of like disposed of them um, but a lot of them have been lost to time, mm-hmm. and hers is one of them that is like quote unquote lost, but she still has it and still uses. It. Uh, so she kind of has what she, what she wants already. So yeah, she's just impartial to everything. She's already got her. Uh, but yeah, which I was and, curious. And also, when she go ahead, when sorry. she's wait, I was gonna say, and I was curious. I was looking for it the whole movie. You know, the, in the narration, you see her get her ring, and she holds her hand up, and she's looking at it. And then later in the movie, I'm like, "Where's the ring? Where's the ring? Where's the ring?" And never fucking saw it until they're leaving in the boats, and she raises her hand to wave at them, and she's got the ring on. Oh yeah, when she's yeah, you, they never really show her hands. So it's just like, "Where's the ring? Where's the ring? Where's the ring?" But she has it when she holds up her hand to wave to them as they're leaving in the boats. Interesting. I hadn't caught that. That's interesting. Yeah, so she's definitely still has it in the movie too. Man, and, and just we I mean we, we could go on and on, like just tell well, every part of my problem is. is I think Kate Blanchett is one of the greatest actors actresses of our generation still and of her generation. Because I just fucking love her so much and everything that she's in. Yeah, she's 
He's like one easily Incredible. one of the best parts of Ragnarok. I, I fucking oh, yeah. love yeah, her version of Hela, which is essentially what Galadriel would have been if she got the ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like her whole, her whole, her whole stake uh, in everything is just whether or not she believes she can pass that test or not. That's that's the only thing she cares about. And then you know after that happens, she's like you know. And in the weird alternate universe where she fails, she becomes Hela and brings about Ragnarok. <laughs> She's and it's interesting too. Is like a lot of what I I see in her performances is similar to Ian McKellen, where they have this kind of stage actor intensity to them, and as far as how much, uh, you know, they care about what their performances are like and how you know legitimate they are in portraying their characters, They're while the also deal. being able, while also being able to have that innate sense where you know they're having fun while being an actor you know you think See, back to like this is what we're talking so much about fun. well this is what we're talking about at the very least we've got ian mckellen kate blanchett um christopher lee and um i was thinking of four people who else is from stage um who am i I'm missing uh, ian holm and all of these people are treating this like this is the character that they're just going to uh, retire and never act again after. Like, this should be the dumbest, nerdiest thing to all of these people. But they're acting their asses off. Yeah, every movie. single person. They're, they're not all a taking single it person so seriously it because they're all the fucking, like, real deal. They're actors. You know, that, that's this is what they do. It doesn't matter how... Um, how you might perceive the role or the property as dumb or nerdy or or geeky, and we have a ton of shit like this around right now. We have all kinds of stuff in video games and books and movies and TV. Two thousand one, if you were in the fantasy genre, you were reading books. Like there was not a whole lot for you. Yeah, yeah. And and... So for this to be the thing, like. If you were carrying Lord of the Rings out in public, you were getting wedgies and swirlies. And for this to be the goddamn thing that we get Ian McKellen and Sean Bean and Kate Blanchett and Ian Holm and Christopher Lee and Andy Circus and Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and Philip Boyens, just John Reese Davies. Like, Jonathan yeah. Reese Davies just acting. Hugo Hugo Weaving too. He, he, Hugo, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving and uh, Hugo Weaving and Christopher Lee also p- fall into that very specific thing oh I was talking God. about, where they they both, just like Ian McKellen and Kate Blanchett, they both will act their ass off, no matter. But they what can also doing. can they can also convey that sense of having fun with their roles that I think is very yes. important too, because it it makes this movie have like legitimacy to it, but it, it doesn't uh, cross too far into being self important, like they. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, because this movie is incredibly serious at times, but it's Except, also, you know, allowed to have, it's allowed to be fun and have moments of levity, which is so necessary to, to like to help with the pacing. Because if you have, you know, like these, these nine hours worth of films be too self-serious and like take it too far into like the territory of trying to be an epic, then mm-hmm. it becomes exhausting. Right. So it's, it's so important. Like the, the casting is so incredible to, to to fix everything that could have been a problem, it is fixed immediately by just who they chose to be the characters. So good, now, the, the uh, best ensemble cast ever. I think the best ensemble cast and just everyone he, being fucking fantastic. Hugo Weaving is one of them. I was forgetting. He's the other one 
that his body language, just like Kate Blanchett, just like Ian McKellen, you take one look at Elrond and listen to him talk for less than five minutes, and you get the feeling that this guy has been around forever and has seen and heard fucking everything. And when we're talking about ancient history, he was fucking there, and you get that from five minutes of body language and dialogue with him. Like, and, and what's interesting, too, is... You can see is... it in his eyes when he's just yeah. sitting there listening to people talk. And what's interesting, amazing. too, is Kate Blanchett, you can feel the years have made her kind of agnostic about everything. And you can tell with Elrond that the years have made him tired, and he's just yes. fatigued, and he's just kind of done. And he's seen specifically the... You they, know, he's, they have he's always talking about the realm of... After yeah, Mount Doom, it, he's... He's somewhat he's, bitter, and he's lived so long now that it's just kind of ate at him. It's kind of it's kind of made him a, a bitter person because he's had so long to dwell on what happened at Mount Doom. The and, name of the mountain is Mount Doom. I I know it's so fucking. Like, it should be so stupid, but any at any time be. in this, you should be as the viewer. You should be like. Pfft. You should be like laughing when they say fucking Mount Doom and you're like, oh shit, that's a mountain they gotta go to, bro. That's a volcano. Like it's it's for it's for real. You know, it's fucking yeah. terrible. It's got a giant fucking eye on the top of a tower. Should be stupid. But I, it's like terrifying. I but, could but, not know, help but imagine you doing the Sean Bean hand motion as you described the <laughs> eye on top of the tower. Because he's the one that describes the all-seeing eye and brings his hand up into a circle. Oh my god, it's just it's so it's so fucking good. It was also super fun this this viewing uh, specifically because uh, my my girlfriend Aurora, uh, this was her first time watching it. I was about to ask you what and she thought. She 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 loved it, and just to see like it's it's all just like a, it's like a comfort movie for us because we've seen it so much and know everything that's gonna happen. But she was like legitimately on the edge of her seat the whole time, you know, because she just doesn't she went in completely blind, doesn't know the material. And like there are moments of you know, like throughout the movie where it's you know legitimately tense you know like the the scene you know when they're on the side of the road and the ring wraith is on the horse above them you know beneath like the bog you know it's it's good stuff and you can like I think Peter Jackson was also just so perfect for this because he can convey the humor they need to make the pacing work but he right. comes from a horror background you know he's able to add some of those elements of uh you know when it, when it needs to be scary to be intense he's able to convey that you know like peter jackson was also just perfect for the property too because he he matched all of the prerequisites to make the movie feel legit while also not being fatiguing to the audience and man yeah just a it, perfect uh... fucking perfect storm of everything we're coming together to make just magic and they were banking on this working out not once, not twice, but three times in a row. Now imagine everything we just said, and you're banking on this works out in your favor three times in a row. Could you imagine if this movie had bombed? Because they filmed them back to back to back, right? They'd never stopped filming. Yeah, they, they never stopped. They had them all. It, it was filmed the exact same way that... Um, so imagine you're still processing the next two movies when the first one bombs at theaters. Yeah, that'd be. Could you? It could have. It could have bankrupted the, the fucking. It could have bankrupted the fucking studio, dude. Like it was. Yeah. It was a huge risk. That's how much confidence, people. That is how yeah. much confidence that everybody fucking had crazy. that these movies were going to be a hit. And my God, were they right? Yeah. But yeah, let's get into it, dude. 
Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, and again, we, we aren't going to be going too specific into this, uh, because obviously if we did a... Uh, <laughs> If we did a, a Gary and Cole bonfire site chat, a, a, a step by step throughout the story, we would literally be here for ten hours on each movie. So we're gonna well, be talking we're well just kind of. Yeah, we're just gonna be. Well, this was important, you know, because this this first uh, episode covering Fellowship is talking, you know, like laying the groundwork for yeah. the importance yeah, we, of the movie. Because yeah, you know, we have a lot of preamble game, in in this first one. Game of Thrones doesn't exist without this movie, mm-hmm. you know. The Marvel Cinematic Universe probably doesn't exist without this, without this movie establishing that it wasn't just names that you needed on the poster. You needed people that matched their characters. You needed people that took it seriously and didn't just treat it like a paycheck, you know, like because like we talked about, you know, like some of these people like Sean Bean and Kate Blanchett and, you know, Ian Holm, Christopher Lee, you know, they're giving you their fucking A game every single time so it's just important to 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 convey that like this is this changed everything you know it's it's one of the most important it's not only one of the best movie franchises it's also one of the most important to get us into the state that we are today where we're allowed to have stuff like robert downey jr being iron man and which happens seven years later by the way yeah or chris seven years between fellowship of the ring and iron man is this we've talked before about the Nolan Batman trilogy basically giving us Iron Man. It doesn't happen either without Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-mm. Because this is the first time audiences are taking shit like this super serious. Yeah, it, it opened the it opened the floor. It, it gave us for the everything. MCU, you could say. <laughs> yeah, it op- it opened the floor yeah. for anything to be taken seriously if you just get out of the way and let creative people do their job and you just let them be passionate and let it be a, a passion project instead of just a cash in on the IP. You know, yeah. it, it 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 just elevated fucking everything. I, I, where do you even want to begin when it comes to talking about this movie? Because, <laughs> well, one of the nerdiest just, things I could say is I always forget that we see Minas Tirith in the first twenty minutes. Isn't that fucking dope? I I always forget <laughs> that too. It's so cool because because when when you're I, a dork the thing about I this, I just said, and the person I said it to responded with, "Isn't that dope? That's what these fucking <laughs> movies did to people." Yeah, it's it's this is the best, dude. Oh my god, this is a fun episode, <laughs> Jeff. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, because it just allows us to just we have just geeked fucking... out hard before on this podcast, but not like we're doing right. Now. Yeah, yeah, because this like this is this is this is fucking church for me, dude. This is the, <laughs> this is gospel for <laughs> me. I fucking ad- church. I fucking adore these. I adore these movies, and the it's so and it's it's interesting too, in how I felt the same way like. When we would, do you remember when we did the Game of Thrones podcast and we did retrospective like lookbacks on? I'm sorry, we did Westerospectives. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> when you look back and you can see them subtly laying like the groundwork for future, you know, like when they also show you like not only did they show Minasteris, but they also showed, you know, the what's the name of the the auxiliary city near like the water you know that's very important in, in return of the king you know they're just showing you a lot of shit that becomes important later that you're like oh that's fucking cool that they took the time to establish it you know it's not just like there there's uh there's a lot of stuff that they they allude to that doesn't become important until you know the next uh, film is pretty cool and it's it's so cool oh, uh, another thing too is this the best now there are going to be more iconic 
and famous themes out of Mr. Williams himself. Is this the best overall score, though, of a movie? When you think about how good the themes are for, you know, certain characters and certain elements, how fucking it can make you it can make you cry and it, you know five minutes later get you pumped up like the the main fellowship theme song is one of my favorite bits of music ever the, it just makes me want to it just makes me pumped when i hear it just like the avengers by the way the crescendo to it is at like one hour and 58 minutes yeah when Man. after gandalf yells run and then the bum 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 it's so good. It's As so they're just running for their good. fucking life from a thing God, you haven't w- seen yet. <laughs> fucking love that bit of music so much. And, and the uh, composer is Howard Shore. And yes. fuck, this might be my favorite. Uh, it's tough because I, I really think it's, uh, I think Indiana Jones probably has my favorite just singular theme ever. But if you just want to talk about the score and just how many bits of important musical so inflection is placed in the movie just by the music alone. And that also adds legitimacy to it, you know? Like the, well, the, the music I was adds to say, it so much. Yeah, there's one thing I was gonna say is, and I'm probably wrong, but at least in what is in my head right now, what I'm able to recall right now, uh, it was music in movies was almost used as like a character theme. Like you know, Indiana Jones himself was about to do something cool when you hear the Indiana Jones music kick in, right? Um, This was... The way this is used is the way we're used to it now with, like, the Avengers and everything else, but in more of a character theme, it is used as part of the scenery, almost. Like, it is a part... It's an active part of the movie. It's not just a thing that is, you know, just ticked off of a list as a thing that's required to be in the movie, yeah. It is it is it, it almost becomes a character itself in the movie. And this is one of the earliest examples I can think of of the music being used exactly the way it is. You, you know what's also really important too is it, I guess Jaws becomes... is the earliest example of the music becoming a character but I can't I, I there, there's few and far between until you get to Lord of the Rings and then that's just kind of how we do it now. From there on it's it's also incredibly important too um in, in how they do a lot of especially in the second and third movies as far as jumping around from location to location a lot mm-hmm. and the music also is always used expertly to ground you in where you are uh yes. you know because they have like themes for the shire they have themes for isengard and the orcs you know like when they do that, bah, 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 you know, you know where you are, you're grounded inside where they want you to be within the movie. So you don't become lost because that's one thing that could easily be, happen too with how much they end up, especially having to jump around when you and the characters split up as far as getting lost and, you know, not remembering, you know, where you're at in the story. And it, I think the music is just so fucking good. Uh, just not only conveying the emotion, but conveying the locations. Yeah. Love when. It. When did Hollywood stop doing establishing shots? Was that about the mid to late nineties? Uh, they still kind of just do establishing shots, but it's not as much of like a trope as it used to be, I guess. Uh, because like, what what are you specifically referring to as? Uh, well, that's kind what of you think how, they stopped. Yeah, what you're what you're talking about is kind of in place of the establishment instead of getting 
two seconds of basically a still image of the Shire or something. We just cut straight into whatever whatever characters we're going to cut to, and we have the music from the Shire playing. Like it's used almost in place of the establishing shot. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. But yeah, it. Uh, I was trying to think of when we saw. I feel like it's around the time these movies were made. We were kind of moving away, away from that. Yeah, because it was uh, specifically became like more of a problem in the '90s. Of you know, you just think about uh, like half your movie was just a picture of a building, <laughs> or something. Yeah, it was just <laughs> it's just uh, so much of the '90s, especially of shots of just like here's five million establishing shots of every building in New York City. <laughs> That's half <laughs> of your movie. And yeah. like one from LA for no reason. Um another character that I feel like we've we might have missed uh talking about how much screen time does Ian Holm have as Bilbo? Oh my but, god. But you fucking love Bilbo right from the get go. Man, he's so that fucking is good. Not this movie. Easy. He's that is not he's an also, easy thing to do. He is also just incredibly chosen for that character too, because he has moments in this, you know, where he needs to be like the, the lovable uncle while also having turning moments of, of, of turning dark and turning sinister. And you just think, I think back to him, you know, in alien and oh. just how sinister just he can. Robot. Bilbo's, a just, robot. <laughs> Bilbo's a goddamn robot. Bilbo's a goddamn robot. Bilbo's a goddamn Spiegel. <laughs> but when, like in that, in that scene, you know, where his face changes, yeah, and he's just instantly ashamed. And then he instantly, after having that just moment of just like sinister, he looked like he was about to rip his fucking throat out just to turn back into that lovable, you know, you know, that uncle uh, that, you know, is just part of the family. It's, he's so good. Yeah, it, uh, there's something, there's just something that instantly makes you sad to see an old man cry also. Mm -hmm. Like the way he just breaks down right after that moment. I, I love the the part of the birthday party too. Like the I love half as you half of you like half as much as you deserve. You know that whole tongue twister yeah, thing, yeah, and the yeah, whole yeah. audience is just like, "What the fuck just happened?" Such yeah. a good delivery. He's so good. Miss that and man. Then, and then Missed when it man. backfires, you just hear the crickets, and he's like, "Uh," and starts going for the. As soon as he feels uneasy or uncomfortable, he reaches in for the ring. Yeah. Um, uh, like a like an alcoholic. And, yeah. and you just also just think back. To once you've you know read all of these books or you, or you've seen all the movies and you just understand like the context like how fucking mentally strong that dude is to be able to have had the ring for sixty years and be able to walk away from it like like he does is absurd you know because obviously Frodo has had it through more of a, you know, a more grueling time but Frodo has only had the ring for what like a year or so by the end of the the three movies and you know it's twisted him a bit to the point to where at the end of it he can't walk away you know and it has to you know indirectly be removed from him you know i think there's also something to be said about though it's like how much did bilbo comprehend about what he was carrying true versus yeah. not only does frodo know what it is but it is actively awake now like the time has come true true uh but you just think about how like what was that going well, to do to bilbo because <laughs> like what, more days but you, but you think about it too, in e even of moments of it not being activated, how instantly Smeagol's turned, you know, in the prequel yes. for him, he's instantly turned, you know, like there's so many characters that are just instantly transfixed by it. And for Bilbo to have had it, e even in non-intense times, to have had it for as long as he did, and it clearly did affect him because, you know, he has these moments where he, 
starts to gall him out a little bit, you know, and uh, he has the moments where he's it's hard for him to, you know, it's to been drop it. That before. He's he's he does such a he's he's such a like a good character uh and and conveys a lot of the and Ian Holm instantly endears you to him. Yeah. I mean yeah. instantly. And you just met this character. He is an enormous character through all of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit everything. You've known him for 5 seconds and you're like, "Oh, he's my favorite uncle." Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Bilbo, One of the most Ian underrated Holm, actors of all time, Ian Holm. Oh just God, that, I miss him. Miss him. Miss him. Come on, it was probably your favorite part of Fifth Element based on that episode we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but dude, yeah, have you ever have you ever seen From Hell with him and Johnny Depp? Oh yeah, yeah. Love that movie. Ian Holm at Bilbo Baggins is Jack the Ripper. Spoilers. <laughs> Jesus. Like what? Spoilers I don't think it for is a spoiler. Old, spoilers for twenty year old from hell, Jesus. I don't think no, it, I, 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 I like the movie a lot. The get-go. I like that movie a lot. Uh we should probably cover that on the show at some point. I really like that movie. But yeah, yeah, man. Let's talk. Where, let's talk a little bit about. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to? I don't. Where, I, don't I have. About? I have like literally no idea where to begin. I just want to talk about: Is there a better bromance than Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli in any movie? Because I fucking every time in, in the second and third movie that they're on screen together, just kicking yes. ass. It, it just you, makes I, me happy. I sit up in my seat a little bit. It just when makes me so. It makes me so happy. Dude, uh, even at the end of this movie, so. I, I mean, I, I assume we've we've already given our, our spoiler alerts, right? Um, at the end of this movie, one of the messages that comes across in the movie that I love is our characters have lost, technically, already, but they're not beaten. And that is messaged very clearly even before he says it. But one of my favorite lines is, everything just went to shit. Everything just fell apart. And Aragorn gets that smile and says, let's go hunt some orc. Uh, yeah, and then John Reese Davies is just so fucking infectious oh, when, you know, when, when he's like the yes as they run their off, and you're just like fuck yeah, dude. And that's when it's, we crescendo again with Lord of the Rings theme, and it's like oh, I love this I movie. love it, I love it. It just like I told um, I told Aurora when we were watching, it, it's like this is just one of my comfort movies now. It just mm-hmm. makes me happy. It, you can show me any scene from any of the three movies, and I'm just instantly. It just makes me happy. It's just one of my comfort movies. I have a question it. for you. If we yes, if we had turned The Witcher into a series twenty years ago, hands down that'd be Viggo Mortensen, right? Probably. And I now want to have watched that because that'd be pretty great. <laughs> no disrespect a, who, to Henry Cavill, but that was oh, the no, only he's amazing. thing. That was the with December seventeenth, right? Is Witcher season two? Um, that's just here in a few days. Here in a, few, a couple of weeks. And with that looming, and I'm going through some of the audiobooks right now, watching this and seeing Aragorn, I was just like, especially when the knife is coming out of him, he just knocks it out of the air with his sword, like the way witchers I, are known for doing arrows. I was just like, uh, and he, how, would, he would be the witcher 20 years ago, right? After and, this and how movie. Awesome, how awesome is it, too, that it is a fantasy property, and usually there's no like stakes to it, how they get fucked up? Dude, okay. When... Ian McKellen, who's at this point one of the most well-known biggest names, because I say he's coming off of Magneto. Here's the one thing I've all I've I have noticed across the board: people that love the original X-Men trilogy and people that fucking hate it all love Ian McKellen as Magneto. 
Yeah, him and Patrick Stewart are the best parts of the movie, pretty much, outside of yeah. Hugh Jackman. Like, yeah. they're, like, they're the best parts. And when he seemingly plummets to his death, as one of the biggest names in this movie, when you're going in to sit down in theaters and watch, uh, if you don't know anything about the property and you don't know how that part of the story pans out, all bets like, are off. No one yeah, is safe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're just like this is alien fuck? when fucking Tom Skerritt gets it in an air shaft, gets shafted in an air shaft. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, so good. And just like the, th- the thing I think of too about how like they're they're fragile is just like you know like when Viggo Mortensen is at the end and you can you can tell he's visibly exhausted and he's just like yes. profusely bleeding in his mouth from being punched in the face by the Urukai like several times and you're just like man he could fucking die you know like there's actual six it's not like glossy fantasy you and know, that it, happened that happened right after we lost one of the other main characters right the moment yeah. you're talking about sean bean's yeah. already been sean beaned yeah he's already gotten man and that that scene too is just like I, i'm like that scene is heartbreaking it's it's so heartbreaking just to see him you know hey, have you ever been so angry with yourself and so guilt-ridden that it took Almost more than three arrows to take you down. That that scene is so fucking good because, especially on the heels of him thinking and that that he's... scene ends with like he's so angry with himself, what he's done, what he did to Frodo. He's so guilt ridden over it all that he sees two more hobbits, and the last thing that's going to happen is those hobbits be taken. And that scene ends with him losing and watching them being drug away before Aragorn yeah. shows up. So he did all of that, including die, and still watch them get drug away, and there was nothing he could do about it after everything he did. It's devastating to watch. I, and oh Sean, Sean Bean, God. Sean Bean is fucking dude. The the ability of Sean Bean to show how like the fragility of his mental state while pretending that he's okay. So throughout so much of the movie, you know, pretty, like where he's. Uh, you know, portraying that he isn't impacted by the ring when he so clearly is throughout it. He he is such right. a good performance. It's a very like subdued performance as far as him showing, like the you know the scene where they're on the top of the 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 mountain in the and snow. He, he, like, and he picks Frodo's hair like he's a child. Yeah, and he's you know like surely he just says like the way he delivers the line of you know like it's you know everything's everything is is like a fake jovial delivery is so good. I like how he has the line, like, what? I'm not a thief. And then, like, less than five seconds later, he's on top of Frodo, like, give it to me! <laughs> like, yeah. It's, Man, it's good. Like, just how it's, much it's it whittles him down. Proud warrior and basically prince. I mean, we'll get into his dad and the standing there as Minas Tirith, but he's more or less a prince. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, for him to be whittled down like he was. Um, and the way Gladriel's vision affected him god mm-hmm. so fucking good like, uh, just by the wh- way this is a little point of trivia for you i don't remember where uh i heard this now or where i read this but i know there's an interview out there somewhere where someone asked sean bean what was his favorite death in any of the movies he's done because it's almost a meme now right how often he oh dies it's totally a meme it's totally a meme um lord of the rings was his favorite death that he's done so far at least at the time of that interview. I don't know if it's changed. And, dude, the, that, that last conversation he has with 
Aragorn, you know, like the, you know, uh-huh. my, my captain, my king. I'm fucking crying, dude. I'm not, I'm not even like ashamed to admit every single time I'm tearing up because it's just so well acted and it's just so devastating. Like you said, where, you know, he's just, he goes out so heroically, but for it to have been for nothing because they still got captured, you know, it's just so heartbreaking. But for him to have that moment of peace at the end, dude, the way his face changes from, I just get shot with a fucking arrow. I got shot with a fucking arrow. Ah, and it gets angry and swings the sword again before the second arrow hits. Like, how dare you fucking shoot me with an arrow? Yeah, man. Oh, I love it. I love that whole scene I love it. so much. That scene is so good. One of the best scenes of the, the trilogy to me is the all the Boromir stuff at the end of this. Also, something so that good. no matter how many times I see it in that same scene, I yell, God damn, every time. Is when he throws the shield at Aragorn and it goes on and either side him. of his throat and pins him. And then so he just good. runs at him with the sword sparking down the shield where he's gonna take his head. God off. damn. And yeah, like, and the action. Oh my god. The the uh the action is you know more brutal at times than you can even remember something. Sometimes you just watch it and it, there's a lot of um like uh what's the word for it? there's like a it's very tactile you know it's not yeah because you yeah, think yeah. you think back to a lot a lot of fantasy historically when it's been presented in like movies you know it feels glossy it feels fake you know this feels watch this any feels real. fantasy movie that made its way to mystery science theater you'll know what we're talking about yeah and and, and for this to always feel you know like there's stakes to it is yeah. is really really cool and god damn it jeff a concept like the ring race exists and people still take this movie seriously. I mean, my how, God. how awesome is their sound design? They sound so creepy. You want to talk sound design on the ring race. Let's talk about the first time you get a real good look at one that you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the movie, when they hide the beginning of the three hour movie, about 40 minutes in when they, <laughs> when they hide underneath the tree roots and it's above them. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that they hide and all you see on screen is them? There's nothing else yet, but you hear the bird. You literally hear the wings flapping. You hear all the birds leave. All the insects stop chirping and it becomes dead silent. And then you start hearing the whispering as he rides up on screen. And then it's just completely silent except for the whispering uh, the entire time he's on screen. You literally, it does not just the birds stop singing. You literally hear the wings flapping. It's in the sound design. You hear them leave moments before he shows up. So fucking good, dude. It's so good. I and love then the like all race. the fucking bugs and everything coming up out of the ground, the earthworms oh, yeah, coming like, up out of the ground. They have like this, the, the, yeah, there's the, the, the giant spider, the centipede. Yeah, if you want, no. if you want me to be unsettled, just show a centipede, <laughs> and I'm immediately unsettled because spiders don't bother me. But if you show me a fucking centipede, like was it is a temple of doom that has just like the mound of centipedes, yes. and yes. it just makes me fucking want to die. <laughs> yeah, and they're all oh, just man. trying to get away from the ring wraith. But dude, that Fuck. that there's something unnerving about that constant whispering. Um, now I have a question for you because I yes, honestly sir? cannot remember. Yes, In, sir. Two Towers and Return of the King, are they still hunting by smell? Because I forgot that they put that in this. In that same scene, you hear him sniffing the air because I believe in the book, that's the only way they hunt. That they can't can't actually see 
Frodo, but they they smell him like they they smell their their prey and their quarry. And when he's leaning over the tree root, you can literally hear him taking deep breaths in, like he's taking big long sniffs, like Wolverine style. Yeah, and I was like, I that ne- didn't really mean a whole lot to me until I went through all the audiobooks a while back. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's in the movies because I've never paid attention. And it's in Fellowship, but I don't remember if it's in Two Towers or Return of the King. Well, they're presented just in like a different way. I think it's probably still like inherently there. It's just they don't have there's them not in putting scene. it in front of you. There's there's not really as many scenes to like have a chance to show them like yeah. going Wolverine style, like you said. But I think it is still an element to it. Um. Especially in the way uh, they show the like the main ring wraith in the third one, you know, the way he's fighting, you can kind of see how he's just kind of present for the fight, but not looking kind of like Book of Eli style. If you remember right. uh, that way, I think you're right. I think it's still an element to it. They just don't have as many chances. Yeah, they, to they show just it. don't. Yeah, they just don't flash it, or it's not deemed yeah. important enough to establish. Maybe they're shown more flying around after this point as well. Yeah. On the the uh, but that's why they can hunt during the day, during the night. It doesn't matter if you're hiding or not, because it's all it's all smell, I believe. And that's uh, a- another point I wanted to talk about too. And another thing that really pushed me away from liking the Hobbit movies as much as I do like Lord of the Rings is I I love the prosthetics of the orcs and the Urukai and just how fucking nasty they look. I I feel like they really lost a lot moving to having all the orcs be CGI in the Hobbit and losing that kind of like tactility to them just that that grossness like when that fucking main Urukai is being birthed in the sack in the dirt and you just <laughs> want to go like you want to go fucking bleach yourself instantly with you know, just just go take a bath and hand sanitizer yeah. like that is all that is all lost in the Hobbit movies to, for, to me because like I was talking about how earlier like how there there feels like there are stakes and they feel like you know they can actually be hurt. And it doesn't feel like glossy fantasy. I think a lot of the Hobbit becomes that, unfortunately, and like they kind of like lost that sense of being yeah, grounded in it. I don't think they're. I don't think they're bad movies, but they're not. Uh, they don't have as much of the detail work that Lord of the Rings has. They don't. They're more riding on what Lord of the Rings established than trying really hard to establish something like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They have so much detail work. I mean, him fucking but, sniffing for Frodo. You, you know, what one of my, uh, I, I actually pointed it out to Aurora when we were watching, but one of my absolute favorite details in the entire movie is such a minor thing. But when they're going to Bree, how the guy operating the gate has a human sized window yes, to look and through hobbit and a hobbit sized one. one is just fucking awesome. It's I, such I, a little detail, but I fucking love it so much. I see what you did there. A little detail. Um, I told I told Christina, I was like, you know, for folk that supposedly don't like to leave the Shire, that guy is not surprised to see a, a Hobbit, number one. Number two, they have a Hobbit-sized window in the door. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then uh, after immediately after I said that, I was like, well, I guess they would still have to trade. Like, they can't, like, they're not inventing everything that they have. They still have to trade and... <laughs> have trade yeah. and, and travel but yeah my initial reaction was for people that don't like to leave the shire this guy is not surprised to see one <laughs> and there's a hobbit sized window but, and i guess it could be it could be for dwarves too because they're like that's I think true. Gimli's like gimme's a little bit taller but it would still you know be closer to gimli height than like a 
No, like the human sized one. But I just I love that detail. They had different sized uh <laughs> little viewports to like look through. Um, I'm forgetting where it was now. But there is a detail that they present in the Hobbit, but not in Lord of the Rings, but it's present in Lord of the Rings. I'm trying to remember where it was. I should have written it down because it surprised me when I saw it, knowing what I well, knowing what I know now, kind of thing. Uh, it basically one of the hobbits more or less snuck up on someone. Um, I don't remember if it was fucking um, Legolas or or who, but it someone that should not, no one, you would not imagine anyone can sneak up on. Um, and that's the thing that's supposed to be about a hobbit, right? They, they're almost completely silent when they move. That's what makes them such great thieves. That's why Bilbo was needed, uh, in the hobbit. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who it was now or what it was, but there is a scene where someone is surprised to turn around and there's just a, a fucking hobbit next to them. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I like that they have like that subtle attention to detail to, it's almost as like a nod to like the hardcore of the hardcore book readers, right. you know? Yeah. Right. Where it's there, but what, what's your, me nuts now. What, what's, what's your, uh, we, we talked about it briefly in text message when we were talking about whether we were going to be covering theatrical versus the extended. What, what are your thoughts on the extended editions of these movies? I've never seen them. You've never seen them. Uh, I have watched them, I think once all the way through, but when I go back to revisit them, I always default back to the theatrical. I, I typically do that regardless, but I I like a lot of the decisions that they, they made as far as what's in the extended editions and what isn't theatrical. And most of that was just to get them under three hours, you know, because that's a that's a box office um decision, you know, to get them yeah. to get as many viewings as possible for box office revenue, but I like the theatrical versions better. A lot of people only rewatch the extended editions, you know, just because they like as all they like as much detail as possible, and it, and it is cool just to see extra scenes of the characters you like. But I, I default to watching theatrical. I was just curious if you'd actually watch them. No, I've I never have. Um, it's one of those things. I'm always like, oh, the next time I watch these, I should try those out, and then I just either forget they exist or like this time, like HBO Max has both versions. Mm-hmm. And once again, just like when we were doing uh, Aliens, I think it was, I was like, oh, ah, oh, if I wasn't doing this for the podcast, I probably would try it this time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, the, the next time you watch them, I would, I would recommend just sitting, because they, they do have some interesting detail that isn't, um, but it, it, but it wouldn't be as... But unless you're Stephen Colbert, it doesn't amount to anything. Exactly. But but I think um, you're probably just fine, because you, you said you had listened to the audiobooks of all three of the books, right? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of the detail you're at least vaguely familiar with from having listened to the book. So, but they're they they elaborate a little bit more on stuff here and there. But I think most most of it is important to cut and just to help the pacing because I th- I think the pacing is still very good for a three hour movie that I don't I don't ever get bored personally. The fact that you can even say the pacing for the three hour movie is good. Think about what you just said. Yeah, when, when there's been movie so and many, they maintained the pacing. Yeah, when there's been so many long movies, especially it's almost like a trend over the past ten years. You know, there's been a lot of stuff. Like every we we always talk about 
Why are Fast and the Furious movies now two and a half hours long, Ron, when they don't need to be? Oh my god. Why are there two and a half hour long Transformers movies by Michael Bay? Why is that a thing? Some of those got close to like three hours too. I weren't Jesus. there wasn't there one Transformer movie that was like two hours and forty five fucking minutes? I think it was like one of the Marky Mark ones. It was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why? There's more than one Marky Mark one? Yeah, I think there was I think there were two Marky Mark ones. I stopped after the Dark of the Moon or whatever it was the, called. The third one? I think yeah, yeah, I think it was Dark of the Moon. Yeah. I have but words I, I digress. about the third one, but that's coming up probably next summer. Yeah, next year we're going to be covering uh, some of the Transformers movies, and uh, I cannot wait to hear Ron. I cannot wait to hear Ron lose his shit. It's going to be amazing. I'm just going to be sitting back with a bucket of fucking popcorn just listening to Ron just go ape shit on the Transformers mm. movies. And I'm all the, about The it. good news is I like Bumblebee, and we have a palate cleanser with the 86 movie at the end of it. So. True. Yeah. So you don't need to put Ron on Suicide Watch, Bobby. He's going to be fine. <laughs> Which I still want to do a, a shout out to uh, the Rage Select podcast, one of the funniest damn things I've heard in a long time. When Rage Select Jeff mentioned, it's like, man, that moment when you realize that you're no longer Hot Rod and now you're Cup, <laughs> like that <laughs> made me burst out laughing when I heard him say that. I think he said right. it happened to him like around 40 I think it happened to me, knowing me when I was like 15. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. When, when you when you realize you're no longer hot rod and now you're cup. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fucking great. Uh, I just want to also want to talk about too. Um, the scenes where they have Legolas being a badass, specifically in this movie, blew my ten year old mind. Like when he shoots in the when they're in the mines and he fucking shoots that. That one orc like between through the, the fucking, eyes in the yeah. dark from from a, a fucking mile away, away or something. Yeah, when that when that scene happened and the way that they showed the arrow, like there's a lot of really cool shots in this movie, but like with the way that he you followed the arrow like through his fucking brain. I like how man. we both knew exactly what scene you were gonna bring up. Yeah, dude, uh, the one so that always awesome. sticks with me is the at Helm's Deep when he's riding the shield down like it's a skateboard. Oh my God. And it's just arrow, just, arrow, arrow. He's one shot, one kill. Just arrow, arrow, arrow going down the and, stairs. And then when he... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fuck it. We're going to... I'm imagining probably what's going to happen next week is out of the hour and a half podcast, probably an hour of it is just going to be us nerding out over Helm's Deep and how fucking amazing it is. But when he gets to the bottom of the ramp and kicks the shield he's been riding to kill another one, it's like, <laughs> fuck yes, dude. Fucking love it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Hey, oh, oh, the nobody tosses still a still counts as one. Yeah, that whole thing, but the, the also the, the callback of the nobody tosses a dwarf thing when you see that that's Toss foreshadowing. And the way Aragorn looks at yeah. him, like, really? And he just <laughs> looks at him, looks straight Don't ahead. The They're both quiet for a moment and then toss me. <laughs> Don't tell the elf. <laughs> Don't tell the elf. God, I love it. I love it. Uh, we're also going to have, we're, we're also going to have to talk about too, uh, of, we'll probably talk about it after we've finished up the Return of the King one, but when we talk about what our favorite one is. And I just really want to quickly talk about how I think I think Fellowship is actually really underrated in that instance. I agree. Because you always you always hear people talk about defaulting to either Two Towers mostly or Return of the King being their favorite. But when you think about like all the groundwork that Fellowship establishes, all of the characters that it establishes, but the lore, it, the backstory. Right? But that's but that's just it, right? It's the establishing part. It's the first act of one movie. But it does such a good it does, it does. such a good it, job doing it that it is underrated as far as being 
Oh, it's... I, like I think it should be more people's favorite than it is because it just it does it does all of the all of the legwork to make everything work so well that it's very underappreciated, even it being is... one of the most beloved movies of all time. Yeah, it is absolutely underappreciated, but you know it's because by the time you get to Two Towers and Return of the King. You don't need the backstory anymore. You know these characters. You know what's going on. It's real lore heavy in the first movie. Um, to keep the MCU comparisons going, one of the reasons why Avengers hits the ground running is the entire phase one of the MCU was literally introducing the characters and their backstories. And, and, and then also, you just hit the ground running in Avengers, and that's what Fellowship did. So I, I was going to make it, a... Everyone always has it at the bottom of their list or whatever, but... Like you said, it is absolutely underrated, but by the time you just get to Battle of Helm's Deep or Menace Tirith, the, you know, there's it, also there's also like the nuance behind it because it's it's funny. I I was gonna make a similar comparison to how the first Iron Man movie establishes like the tone of the entire cinematic universe. Yes, and this establishes the tone in a way that's like nuanced, where you don't you don't pick it up really as a viewer because you don't think of it like that. But when you just think about like all the characters, it establishes. And just the tone and how they knew immediately what they wanted the tone to be and how it is epic, but it's also allowed to be fun. You know, it's it's allowed to be a breezy three hour movie instead of like a chore to watch. And just that they they really fucking knew from day one what they wanted to portray. And it's very underappreciated while being, like I said, one of the most beloved movies of all time. But right. I, I do think it should be it should be viewed uh, a little bit closer to to two towers and return to the king than it is because to your point you know everyone thinks of once they're able to you know get the ball rolling and just how fucking amazing helms deep and how fucking awesome minas tirith is in in three is like man i'm excited to talk about him because this is like we talked about like this was going to be a lot of preamble yeah. this was going to be a lot of us setting the you know the the stage as far as how important the movie is to hollywood in general how important it is to you know, making geek culture legitimate, you know, like geek culture became pop culture in large part because of this movie. Uh, it's, uh, you know, mandatory to talk about. Still trying and to figure out how you came to the conclusion that I hated Lord of the Rings. Uh, I'm, I'm still thrown by that because I had, I, I distinctly remember having conversations with you before when we worked at a movie theater together. And then, I don't know, like a year or two later, when you mentioned Lord of the Rings, and then you're like, but you don't like Lord of the Rings, right? I was like, what? <laughs> like, we, we literally talked about it like all day long one day. You, you, I was just like, wait, what? Like I said, I can tell you what year Brendan Fraser's The Mummy came out, but I can't fucking tell you what we <laughs> talked about on Tuesday. It's just the way my brain works, okay? I, I can't make any sense of it. No one can. <laughs> but I think the main, the main driving force behind it was I think it it bled into you not liking it because of our buddy Philip liking the Hobbit more than Lord of the Rings and being <laughs> completely fucking dead wrong. <laughs> uh, when your opinion is incorrect. <laughs> doesn't happen often, but it happens. It can, it can happen. It can yeah. happen to you. I think, I think that's just my brain twisting it up. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that you love these movies as much as I do because it gives me an excuse. But I, I think I think our Two Towers and Return of the King episodes are going to be a lot differently. They're going to be more of talking about like the specific scenes and breakdowns um, in that regard. But is there anything else you want to talk about with Fellowship? Because I do think we'll we'll get more into detail as far as like 
the character dynamics and not just the actors you know i think we'll get more into more scene by scene detail in the next yeah. two than we did with this one um so this will be where we also had fellowship underappreciated <laughs> right <laughs> We we went into detail a little bit, you know, just like how fucking amazing the the, the mine scenes are, and right. Now, one yeah. thing that I wanted to point out also is this is like the only film franchise I could think of at the time that we had a character arc for the main characters. Right? The people, yeah, true. By the time you get to the people that make it to Return of the King, are not the same people that set out in Fellowship. Yeah, you know, they their their characters are completely different at this point. I mean, we start out with just racism abounding between dwarves and elves, and specifically oh, yeah. Gimli and Legolas, and they're fucking they're starting to be bros at the end of this movie, and then by the time you get to Helm's Deep, they are bros, you know, and they're they're just straight up best friends in what, what, the Return of the King. One of my favorite fucking moments of that developing in all three of the movies is you know like uh when carl urban shows up in the second movie yeah and then legolas in the middle of the giant like he's, he's before their battalion of dudes draws his arrow on him and you know he's like you'd be dead before your sword fell or whatever and he's like fuck yeah dude <laughs> the, the, the bromance is brewing <laughs> yeah i love it i love it which you know it's also hearkening back to uh wartime stuff right i mean that's that's common in in any war that you hear about uh, in real life, uh, people uh, yeah. brothers you know, in arms forged, yeah, yeah exactly forging bonds and stuff and that's that's what you see. Um, yeah, all can the we, characters we have also, a straight up character art. Just real quickly, can we also talk about uh, when you have more context overall? How incredibly badass it is that Aragorn one v fives fucking five ring race on the top of Weathertop. I know when he and fucking wins when when he. <laughs> Dude, another scene that the broke torch? my ten-year-old mind when he tomahawk throws the fucking torch into its face. Yes. If you watch, yes, please. If you watch, it's the fire they avoid more than his sword. Yeah, because he sets a couple around. Because he sets a couple of them on fire to be able yeah. to actually fight them, and they're freaking out. And the fact that he is able to make the ring rates afraid is yes. badass, dude. Who, who? Okay, we'll talk about it more uh, in, in more detail, but real quickly, who, who, who is your favorite character? Aragorn. Of these movies, because mine is Aragorn, but uh, Gandalf's fucking close. Gandalf really is cool. is fucking close, but having played so much Diablo, he's the Deckard Kane, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't mean that to like, you know, that's not an insult to the character. Deckard Kane's fucking yeah. amazing, but he's yeah. the encyclopedic knowledge that everybody turns to. Uh, in yeah. my mind, uh, but, but yeah, Aragorn is mine too. Uh, yeah, Aragorn and then uh, Legolas and Gimli are probably yeah yeah. I, I would rank them as one Aragorn, two two A, Gandalf, two B, and no then and then order. and then and then yeah and then uh it, like yeah two A is Gandalf and then two B is the Gimli Legolas bromance because every time they're just kicking ass, <laughs> every time they're just kicking ass is is the best. Shall uh. I shall I describe it to you or shall I get you a box? <laughs> And then Gimli just busts out laughing. Oh I love it. I love it. Um, but <clears throat> I think in the in the books too, it has this whole thing where Gimli um, takes Legolas home, and then there's a point where he goes and visits Legolas's home, and they each hate where the other one lives because one is underground and one is in the trees. 
but right. they're still yeah. happy that they got to they got to see it because that's where their yeah. friendship has has hit and it's just like oh my god like this is so awesome actually yeah it's really great yeah and we'll, and we'll we'll probably we'll probably end up talking more about specific sequences in this too just as time goes over uh as as we continue to talk about the characters more and just reminiscing about like the uh kind of building blocks for what ends up just being some of the best action sequences of all time and two towers which are the king that i can't wait to talk about and i'm always yeah. shocked see yeah, i don't know how to say his his last name but martin Stokus. Uh, oh yeah oh yeah yeah i'm always shocked to see him because i will never not think of him as the villain in triple x yorgi <laughs> and just it, but he shows up and says like one line that he has i'm just like oh you and then that's that's all I have time to think about because then he's off screen forever. Yeah, is any Kate Blanchett's like second in command dude? Like whatever he is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of stands there. But uh, they casted the elves fucking good. You know, they all look like they've seen some shit. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. yeah, and then we get double Jonathan Reese davies next week because he is Treebeard as well. Can't wait. Can't wait. And then we'll probably talk about it at the end of the or the fellow the end of the um, Return of the King episode of which one oh, is our favorite because that'll I, be that'll be a fun talking point. I know one thing that um, that I wanted to talk to you about. What do you okay. think of Liv Tyler in this as Arwen? Interesting. Um, I because think she's actually Armageddon happened in the nineties, right? Like Armageddon's what probably got her in this because that was a blockbuster. Uh, I think I think that was like ninety eight or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think she's actually pretty pretty good. I think she's obviously one of like the weaker points, just because she's not you know like Ian McKellen or Ian you know Ian right, not right, like right, a right. Armageddon was ninety eight. How do I know these things? <laughs> Why do I know what year Armageddon came out? Jesus Christ! Do you know the quadratic equation, Jeff? <laughs> I do not. I do not. But, but you I, know I, I hate Armageddon my, was I hate myself. And you know I the mummy myself. was 1999. I hate myself for knowing what year Armageddon came out. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> I think I like that movie too, but if I watch it now, I'd probably, probably hate it. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. We got guilty pleasure month. <laughs> That's true. That's true. There you go. There you go. What do you um, do? You, do you hate her in this? Like, what, what's your thoughts on Liv Tyler? No, it. My thoughts on this of Liv Tyler in this. If you look at Liv, uh, Liv Tyler and Armageddon, I don't. I mean, I think she's probably doing better than i could do but next to everyone else she i just i I didn't think she uh had a lot to do but i didn't think she was doing it very well in that movie either and then i like her as arwen yeah i think she's i think she's good and i think she also has like a uh it's similar to you know blanchett how we talked about how she has like a like an otherworldly kind of yeah attribute to her i think love tyler also kind of um conveys that that kind of just like because almost she's, she's a, a a pretty version of her dad so it's it's really odd <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah i think she's i think she's very good i think yeah, she's really good i, I like probably her as arwen she learned to act in those like three years yeah i, I mean to be fair her her director went from michael bay <laughs> to <laughs> peter jackson not much you can do fair. there that's not much you can do but yeah. uh yeah i like her i like her a lot and dude uh Oh my God, Elijah Woods' future roles that he's gonna have moving on from here. Sin City is after this, right? That's like in the 2010s. Yeah. Oh my God, 
Elijah or no, Wood the first is... the first Sin City was like 2005, and they took 30 years, remember, to make the sequel when right, we talked right, about right, right, how right, right, we were, you and I were the only two people other than the director and editor to actually watch Sin City 2. <laughs> Dude, Elijah Wood yeah. in Sin City. He's so, yeah, he's so oh good. Oh my god, the difference between Frodo and whatever the fuck he is. Oh, also, just to keep my streak alive, Sin City was 2005. Why oh do I know God. these things? Why do I know these things, Ron? Oh, uh, it hurts. I am us, like Jeff. the Col- I I am like the Colbert of knowing what fucking year a movie <laughs> came out for no fucking reason. Oh. Yeah, it's terrifying. I'm scary. Speaking of Colbert, I've been wanting to point out this whole time. Um, I don't think it's randomized because I've left the page and come back a few times since. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring on IMDb. There's nine videos. It's showing me two of them. One of them has a screen grab that literally just says hosted by Stephen Colbert <laughs> for the one minute and 10 second trailer for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Nice. I, I'm probably watching that when we're done because now I'm curious. Oh, you most like, like you need an excuse to watch anything related to Colbert. <laughs> God damn, I'm so starved for Colbert content. Oh, there's just nothing. The guy doesn't do anything. He doesn't never. Yeah, he <laughs> he's never around. He's disappeared. He's been off the air for like three days. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and you're like on ghost town. On that note. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, Diablo, uh, and the Balrog have a lot in common in their design. And what's funny, Diablo 2 even came before this movie. I don't know what direction that is going. Yeah. They, their Not designs, sure. if you look up Diablo from Diablo 1 and Diablo 2 and look at the Balrog, uh, it's, it's crazy. Diablo 2, Diablo especially, um, with the exception of the wings. I wonder if it's specifically like, because you know how like, it's it's funny how Lord of the Rings created D&D, but then I think D&D retroactively helped design Lord of the Rings right. as far as the movies, because a lot of like the visual representation, you know, like Tolkien made all, all the maps and shit, but it wasn't really until D&D that a lot of those concepts became like a visual thing. So I, I wonder if the Balrog is a D&D creature that, you know, is just fucking awesome. So they use it for everything. Probably. So, um, yeah. Also, something else Fellowship gave us before we had a word for it. Is there a bigger meme than you shall not pass? Uh, one does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, good sir. Before Touché. that scene, the last thing I'm going to talk about, just so we can get out of here, but the, the, before that scene happened, uh, Aurora, when they were uh, sitting around the the council, you know, right. she was like, wait, she was, she, she, was, she recognized Sean Bean. She's like, wait, isn't there a meme about to happen? I was like, yes, yes, there is. Yes, there like, is. 10 seconds later, he has the, uh, you know, the one does not simply lie in the hand motions. So it's like, right. yep, that's the one. That's the uh, one. Dude. You know I, how... I, don't think, I don't think you shall not pass as a meme, by the way. I think it's just fucking awesome. I love that scene. <laughs> I think um, it's great. Is how is that as again, you know, just Ian what, McKellen. what this what this managed to accomplish. How is that not dumb either? Like it's so Ian, Ian, epic. Ian McKellen, the way he screams it out is so amazing. The way he screams at the green screen in front of him? It's so amazing. God Ian McKellen is just Fucking god amongst men, dude. What I kind of imagination man. does he have, you think? Because he's literally just looking at a green wall when he's screaming this. Probably standing on a green floor in a green room, 
staring at a green wall, yelling, "You shall not pass." It's so good. He gives you like, he's like chills, dude. Yeah. Uh, also, did we ever? I don't think we talked about how, uh, how they originally wanted Sean Connery to be Gandalf, and how that would have ruined this whole. That would have ruined this whole franchise, probably. But I still want to see it. <laughs> I, w- I still uh, keep it secret. Keep it safe. <laughs> <laughs> I just I you want to see that. Shall not pass. <laughs> you shall not pass. Oh, oh man, I still want to see it. Would have oh. ruined everything. Almost would have been worth it just to see it. Man. Yeah. When you save the whole franchise in one casting decision. <laughs> Crazy. I, know, I, I love me some Sean Connery, but man, that would have ruined everything. <laughs> he, he's one of those that has to be used in the right place. Yeah. For it to work. He needs to be tactically deployed into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, but yeah, let's, so uh, we usually have a second to talk about what the next episode is going to be. We already established that we're going to be doing these uh, every week. Uh, for December, one might say, yeah, we're gonna be doing these to celebrate, you know, one of our favorite franchises ever, and in, in the uh, in the wake of its 20th anniversary, that makes me feel ancient as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you want to follow the show more for updates, we're over on Twitter at SPR Filmcast. And Ron, where can people find you when you're not discussing what could have been with Sean Connery as Gandalf? <laughs> if only either one of us were good at animation and impressions. Right. Um, I am RonSense TV on Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. There you go. And man, I'm so I'm so excited to watch Two Towers again, dude. Holy shit, I can't wait. Battle of Helms Deep. Can't fucking wait, dude. And then, and then the week after, Minas Tirith. Fuck yeah, dude. God, I love it. I love it. There's so much good shit happening so- in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, like I said, it's going to be an hour of Helm's Deep Talk and then an hour on the next episode of Me as Tears Talk, and that's just it. And I am totally okay with that. Uh, Have a good night, everybody.